And we're going to talk about the power of lingering Passover leftovers. The power of lingering Passover leftovers as we come to uh, closing, soon to close our Passover out as we are continuing to count the Omer. So I'm going to talk about uh, the power of the prophetic, the power of the blood, the power of the afikomen, and the power of the cup of judgment. And then uh, we're going to conclude with an ending story. Let's get back here. So memories of my early Passovers delight me to no end. My family gathered around the maternal grandparents' table, our, my maternal grandparents' table, joined by my mom and my dad, my brother Martin, Aunt Sarah, Aunt Sylvia, Uncle High, sometimes Aunt Libby, and other guests could show up from out of town as well. Those Passover annual events are indelibly impressed on my mind. The room resonated, that was the dining room, with noisy chatter. Led by my grandfather, with my bubby, my, my grandmother, hugging close to the kitchen, the several hour ordeal seemed endless, but yet with a sustained anticipation of the Passover food and drama to come. The four questions that I would recite because I was the youngest. The immersing of the green carpus into the salt water, the matzah with the horseradish. Afterwards, I always coughed. And the harosid sandwich. The gefilte fish, chopped liver, slurping of the chicken soup with the fascination of watching the oil configuration floating on the top. And even chicken feet in the soup all seemed natural to me. Whatever the concerns or worries of the day or the moment stood still, just like overtaken by the thrill and anticipation of Passover and family. Now, for the rest of the week, I picked at the food in our refrigerator, gefilte fish, matzah ball soup, matzah kugel, tzimis, haroset, chicken, brisket, chopped liver, grape juice, macaroons, you name it. It was there, and I just looked forward after I came home from school uh, to raiding the refrigerator. There was always plenty of matzo on hand to spread jelly and butter over or chop liver on for lunch at school, where we matzo eaters usually sat together lest we get the question, the immemorial question, what are those crackers you're eating for a whole week? We had our fill, and to tell you the truth, these leftovers made life a little better during that time. Passover continued to give and usually lasted past the days because my mom and Bubby froze some of the food. The leftovers were really better than the original, and that's the way it is spiritually as well. The Passover lingers and continues now and through the days ahead. And it does so because the Bible says in Exodus 10 too, that you may continue to tell your son and grandchildren 
what I have done in Egypt, as well as my signs that I did among them, so you may know that I am Adonai. And this is embedded in the Passover Haggadah as well. We have an unbroken written oral and oral history of the Passover, an event that continues to this day and into the future, and thus the lingering power of Passover leftovers, the power of the prophetic, the power of the blood, the power of the afikomen, and the power of the cup of judgments, to name just a few. First, there's the power of the prophetic, a comfort which has been fulfilled in the exodus, looking toward an even greater exodus to come. The exodus was a giant event and is the absolute centerfold archived in the Hebrew Bible and recorded in posterity in Jewish history. There had never been such a demonstration of power as unleashed by God here to deliver his children from the grips of Pharaoh's jaws. God stood up for Israel against the greatest world power of the day. And through his faithful servant Moses, he resolutely says, let my people go. They were God's people. Free them from the bondage I have permitted until now, for the fullness of time has come to let freedom ring. A little bit about slavery. Just because there was slavery does not mean that God approved of it. Yes, Israel took foreign slaves. There was an existing culture of slavery that was a mainstay in that part of the world. But God's regulation of Israelite slavery that he implemented at Sinai mitigated the harshness, the severity of the inhumanity of the slavery that surrounded in the nations. So it was quite a contrast. And in Egypt, it was, as we read in scripture, just such a harshness the taskmasters had no mercy. If you had to be a slave and were given a choice in that day, you would select under the Israelites, no question. God delivered the Hebrews from the physical oppression of Egyptian slavery and demonstrated that he was the one that possessed the power to reduce the Egyptian gods to a helpless pulverized state. We are privileged to be in the family of this powerful God. The children passed over the Reed Sea on dry ground, and those who were chasing them drowned through the miracle of control of the natural elements. The word was heard around the known civilized world that it reverberates today. It is such a miracle, it is such a miracle that only believers believe. Scoffers abound in the scholarly and non-scholarly world that said it never could have happened like that. 
that at the time the sea was subject to winds and tides that made it possible for all to wade across it, which of course does not account for the miracle then of how the Egyptians all drowned in waste level water. To date, this was the greatest event ever told. And yet it was a prophetic testimony of what the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob was capable of doing. This was the first deliverance of a whole nation, but the best was yet to come. And it is marvelous in our sight. It foreshadowed the great spiritual escape to come. The Passover has not been fully spent, but leftovers linger for the grand finale to come. Remember, leftovers are even better than the original serving. There are deniers today who say, we've been waiting for the next great deliverance for 2000 years. Hold firm, for he will come in a time that we know not, but for sure he will come because our God delivers on his promises. And in fact, He's coming every day, and we're closer now than we've ever, ever been before. Then there's the power of the blood. The Israelites were delivered from the angel of death in Egypt by faith in the blood of the lamb they placed on the doorpost. Those who didn't follow the command were unprotected. Those non-Israelites who sheltered with Israelites were safe under the blood. With the lamb's blood, they had redemption. Without it, they had none. Life and death hinged on the blood of this innocent, blemish-free lamb. This was a shadow of what was to come. At Sinai, God instituted a system of blood sacrifices offered daily. Every aspect of faith of ancient Israel was based on a covenant sealed by blood. And that is where our hope and faith should forevermore be placed. Obviously, the animal sacrifices could not save or protect. They symbolized faith in God. They targeted what was to come and faith and hope in the future of God's covenant with the Israelites, who were later called Jews. The real blood atonement for mankind had to come not from a lamb or a bull or from human sacrifice, all which the pagans also sacrificed in their temples. It had to come from the blood of God. That perfect man, the one symbolized by the Paschal lamb and all the animal sacrifices, uh, is real, is revealed to Israel and to all mankind in the gospels. He is Messiah Yeshua, the son of God, the son of David, Yochanan, the immerser, John the Baptist said, behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. No one, no one could have imagined the symbolism here and why it was that animal's blood 
could be efficacious for safety. It was, of course, because of obedience, of faith. For blessed were those who obeyed out of faith rather than out of their rational mind, because such could not be explained logically that when I see the blood, I will pass over you. Just as ancient Israel was physically redeemed by faith in the application of the blood of the lamb applied to the doorpost of the house, we today must be redeemed by the blood of the lamb applied to the doorpost of our heart so that if you believe, that is have faith in your heart and confess with your mouth, you shall be redeemed. For with the heart, we believe unto righteousness, and with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. There's just no other blood given among man that is worthy for redemption from sin, except that which is delivered up to the Father in the Beit HaMikdash, in the temple where he dwells, which is the only acceptable offering. This is the leftover that lingers about Passover even today. The need to be immersed in Yeshua, the Passover lamb's shed blood. The blood of the Passover lamb was not just for Passover, but it was a lingering leftover that pointed to the one who had the power to not just physically save and redeem the Israelites in Egypt, but the spiritual power to redeem the whole world from the grips of Hasatan. But not just the whole world, but you and me individually as well. And then, thank you, Stacy. there's the power of the Afikoman. Ask and it shall be given to you. Seek and you shall find knock and the door shall be open to you. On Passover, we ask four questions and we get the answers. We seek out the Afikoman and in a sense, collectively, we find it as a family. And we listen for the knock at the door in hopes that this Passover, it will be Elijah who will come as a forerunner of our Messiah. This was the most fun for a kid searching for the Afikum and the children anxiously search while the parents patiently wait. There is this modern concept that many churches are modeled around the concept of seekers. You heard maybe a seekers church. They are those who are genuinely seeking for the answers to their innermost questions. They are those searching for love, searching for the meaning of life, searching for the answer to the question of the ages. Where is God? He's found in the Afikoman. Afikoman comes after the meal, sort of the dessert that satisfies after the meal. It is the one half of the middle piece of three matzot that is in the tosh, or the matzah bag. It is pierced and striped and baked in the fiery oven and taken out, unleavened, 
without sin. It is the shmura, the special matzah that is watched through the whole process of making it to make sure that it's undefiled and pure. The one that Yeshua broke when he said, take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. As often as you do, you show the Lord's death until his return. So the lingering power of the Afikoman is the return of the Messiah that was prefigured by this mystical ceremony, which some believe was instigated, instituted by a Jewish believer there in the first century, maybe Simon Peter himself. It's a mystical ceremony searching for the Afikoman, which by the way, can mean in Greek, one who comes last. Then there's the power of the cup of judgment. Now I used to eschew a social gospel. As a new believer, anything that was short of Messiah and him crucified had no place in, in my life. Anything short of sharing the gospel with evangelistic vigor, uh, how uh, bold and brave it was, passing out tracts in Israel, getting chased and thrown in, in a police uh, department, and uh, at times even being hit. Uh, anything less than that was a delusion of the gospel until I found out that the gospel is social. It's a social gospel too. It's socially aware in as much as our faith compels us to do something for others. Dearly departed Jonathan Sachs, who recently passed away, great loss, said, Pesach is where the past does not die, but lives in the chapter we write in our lives and in the story we tell our children. Pesach is where the past does not die, but lives in the chapter we write in our lives, our own lives, and in the story we tell our children. Scriptures enjoin us as we write our own life epistle, to be ye not hearers of the word only, but doers of the word. And the word of God says that he laid down his life so that we might be free, and therefore we should lay down our life for others. This is not something that is theoretical. This is something that is real and something that we do as servants of Messiah Yeshua. In fact, I'm here because so many of you assaulted the throne of God on my behalf so that I could be renewed in life with a new kidney, with, with renewed vigor, with strength to do 
I hope the things that God wants me to do in my closing days. I'm here because God heard those prayers and put on the heart of a woman who was a co-congregant here of mine to donate her kidney on behalf of me so that I might get a matching one from another. That was sacrifice. I was diseased and she met my needs. Others were naked and you clothed them, hungry, and you visited them. We know of the ceremony of reciting the 10 plagues during the Passover. And for each plague, we diminish our cup of wine a bit by dipping our finger or utensil into it and drawing out some of it and discarding it on our plate. We do this because a full cup of wine expresses full joy, but our joy is diminished when others suffer, even if they are suffering for wrongdoing, for sin as were the Egyptians. We're not happy when people suffer from plagues, sickness, or diseased, unregenerate heart. There are other modern plagues in our society today that linger and that cause grief and suffering and death that are systemic. Poverty is most rampant and it takes its toll. The impoverished are here for a reason. Yeshua said that the poor will always be with us. That lingers, that haunts, and that should motivate us to compassion and to be creative so that we may participate in some way to alleviate the distress of those who are out of a job, do not have enough to eat, cannot pay their rent or purchase their medications, and are afflicted with the consequences of being on a planet that is so rich, but without the process or the desire for efficiently delivering the resources to raise all to a subsistence level. Don't think that it's the government that will take care of us and them. We have a responsibility. Let the government do what the government's going to do, but that does not absolve us from our responsibility of doing what we're called to do. There's not enough tea in China to go around. Don't worry there won't be an over surplus. It provides us with an opportunity to do what Yeshua said to do. He said, be doers of the word of God. That was his heart, that we ought to be doers, not just hearers. What can I learn from the cup of diminishing the pain in a world that has entered an, an entropic state that will motivate me to do something, even if it is giving to a particular cause. One thing I do now are virtual walking races and a percentage of the entry fee is donated to certain humanitarian, humanitarian causes. Virtualrun.com. They have the most beautiful medals. This one I just did. This is uh, this is the Earth Day. 
you know, save the gorilla. Really nice. And then here's another one, uh, Cancer Day, World Cancer Day. And here's uh, one on Martin Luther King Day. Uh, now I've got a bunch and there's a bunch more coming and I don't know, Joyce uh, is on the verge of uh, threatening me uh, because I'm filling up the China cabinet and she can't use the China dishes without uh, great hardship of, uh, uh, with my help, of course, uh, cleaning everything out there so that we could have uh, a, a Passover uh, with uh, a nice tablecloth and the like. But in any event, um, it makes me feel better to know that I'm contributing to a pond that's helping others. The Haggadah says, this is the bread of affliction that our forefathers ate in the land of Egypt. Let all who are hungry come and eat. All who are needy, let them come and celebrate the Passover with us. Yes, the Passover lingers and is big enough to feed the multitudes, which God will multiply if we just seed it. Racism abounds and is on the spectrum of modern plagues. Racism is systemic. If you don't think so, ask the survivors of the Holocaust who experienced the hatred that they saw in the eyes of their oppressors and experienced in their souls and body. Anti-Semitism in many forms abound. Jews from immemorial are sensitive to it and are always aware that it can break out at any time and any place as it did here a little north of us in San Diego in a synagogue and as it did in North Carolina at my son's synagogue there in Cary, not once, but twice, and shootings in Pittsburgh, of course, and other places. 2019, by the way, was the worst year in the 40 that the ADL, the Anti-Defamation League, has been in existence as far as anti-Semitic incidents in the U.S. Anti-Asian sentiment has arisen before our eyes on television to an extent here in the US fueled by hate against Asians, blaming the coronavirus on any Asian who happens to be visible here. Much of the spread of hate is online and I see believers engaging in it, in it so sadly also. Remember there are words that hurt, but also words that heal. Do you know the Spanish flu did not really originate in Spain, but was discovered there First, the best thinking today on this is that it probably originated in the United States when a soldier came back from war and spread it. We did not call it the, the American flu. Enough of the blame shifting. We we're all in this together. Is it rational to blame a country or a race? Well, racism is never rational but sin lurks at the door always. They spoke against Moses because he had a black wife. 
Not that he was white, probably he was Mediterranean complected, of a Mediterranean complexion. We were all afflicted with biases and discriminatory attitudes, some of which are healthy, but when it comes to race and gender, let it be purged from our hearts and our language, whether it be anti-Semitic, anti-Asian, anti-Black, anti-minority, misogynist, or anti-white as well. We believers of all persons should work at purging such racial notions. It starts in the heart and like leaven, it grows until it becomes destructive in relations with God and others. And then it reeks with subjectivism. And then I notice that people are sent strong delusion and they believe the lie they want to believe and anything is accepted as, it, as long as it fits their deeply held rooted bias, no matter how fringe and unsubstantial it is. And it doesn't stop there. Conspiracy theories then abound to justify the lie, to rationalize, and this is the hill they die on. And even Yeshua becomes a syncretistic part of the lie. Let us please, please consider a more gentle and loving existence in the Passover kingdom where we believers dwell together. We're better than that. We have better angels. Then there's the unequal access to justice. So what can we do? First, become aware of our nature and the nature of humans. Then we need to change our attitude and then our language will change. We are not Republicans first. We are not Democrats first. We are not Americans first. We are not conservative or liberal first. All that pales in comparison to the judgment day that's coming upon us, when we will stand before the throne of the Almighty, and there before us, we will see the real of our life, and we will answer. We are believers first, saved by the blood of the Messiah Yeshua, and we have a lingering love for the individual to see them lifted up so that they can see the Savior that we have seen. A lot of what others see in you will be instrumental in how they look at others. Honor the image of God who dwells in you by honoring the image in others. There's a person in this congregation, I'm talking about your congregation here, who has been laboring in love in the highest form of sadaka in a prison ministry who has made a tremendous difference over the 25 years she has been doing it or so. But it is not just she. She attracted so many others to join her in this prison ministry of love and justice. Even one time me, or I attracted her to aid, to aid so that we mutually uh, aided in a endeavor. She surely has applied equal weights and measures here by recognizing equal justice under the law and attention to all in prison, whether they be convicted of murder, uh, theft, or some uh, drug uh, wrong. They get the same concern and love in cookies. In such a ministry, people can be locked up but free. It just takes some human care and 
a presentation of the gospel is a tikkun olam element. She found one of her callings, a major calling. And not only she, but so many thousands over the years have been rich through her and others through Kairos. When I was in prison, you visited me. What about the orphans and the, and the widows? As a congregation and as individuals, no matter what we're doing, we can take some of the Passover leftovers and share them. You can share your unleavened bread with others. Find your niche. What about the pro-life stance? I'm not just talking about abortion. I'm talking about pro-life from the crib and before to the casket and beyond. I'm not just talking about one aspect of life. We can't afford to be that narrow-minded. Pro-life extends to every aspect of life and to the living who need to see the gospel that dwells in your heart by caring and sharing and meeting needs one person at a time. A concluding story. In a Messianic congregation in Israel years ago, the rabbi took the bima, scanned the crowd, forced a smile, took a deep breath, and told the congregation, the congregants, that like you are attentively listening the following story. After the second night of Passover, of the Passover Seder, in the home of a Messianic family, the father and his son and son's friend decided to take a dip at a favorite place in the Red Sea, not far from where they lived in Elot, south, very south in Israel. A full moon, clouds on the horizon and the gentle sloping surrounding mountains in the distance, made it a very pleasant scene. The father decided to just lounge on the water edge while his son and son's friend took a swim. Both of them were strong swimmers and they were swimming to an islet about a half a mile away where according to tradition, the Queen of Sheba met King Solomon. The father had the kids in his gaze and was relieved to see them alight on the narrow island. About five minutes later, he observed them both enter back into the sea to return to shore. About then, the father decided to enter into the sea himself and lost track of the precise location of the boys. Suddenly he heard a loud cry for help. Save us, save us, help, help. The father in a panic peered outward and saw his son's friend upward in the water trying to hold on to his son who appeared to be in trouble. With a rush of adrenaline, the father sprang into action and hurriedly stroked through the water and arrived on the scene. He saw both his son and his son's friend desperately clinging onto each other 
in a life and death spiral. The father entered the fray, and as both of the victims went under, he soon assessed that he could only help one of them. He knew that his son was a believer in Yeshua, for sure. And he had demonstrated that the past 10 years of his life serving as his assistant in the congregation. He also knew that his son had been sharing his faith with his friend, and the Passover invitation was at his son's insistence in hopes that his friend would see Messiah in the Passover. In that split second, he decided to save his son's friend and was successful. His own son died, drowned. A silence enmeshed, surrounded the congregation. The rabbi scanned the congregation and saw many in tears. He then silently stepped down from the bima. One young boy, young man, shouted from the congregation, come on, you know that can't be true. Come on, rabbi, he yelled. Tikidlanu zelo emet, yefshar. Tell them, this is not true. This is impossible. No father would do that. The leader was silent. Then an older gentleman arose to his feet and came forward, and he politely asked if he could address the congregation to which the leader assented. He said, the elder gentleman, he said, I know it to be true. What this rabbi said, I know it to be true because I am the father who saved my son's friend. And the one who told you the story is in fact my son's friend who I saved that night. They embraced the father and the sons, the deceased son's friend, as the congregation wept in amazement. Such a Passover story seems implausible, but that is exactly what our Father in heaven did when on that night and every night into eternity, he sacrificed his only son to save a world full of people drowning in aimlessness and emptiness of purpose without the son in their lives. That Passover night continues to linger with the fruit of its leftovers in its wake. My friends, Shabbat Shalom.